Welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Esther Remy. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Holocaust in Italy with Alyssa McConnell. Hi friends and welcome to season three, episode seven of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. Um, If you're listening in real time, you might have noticed that I just took a couple of weeks out just to regroup a little bit. Strong advocate for taking a break from your work when you need to. But we're back and this week I have a friend, I have a guest on the podcast. So this week's episode is about Italy and my friend Alyssa McConnell, um, who is currently completing her PhD in history at the University of Ottawa in Canada, is writing her thesis on the history of fascism, Italianization, and the Holocaust in Italy's northeastern border regions. So I just thought, who better than to have an Italian um PhD student expert on the podcast and a very dear friend to talk about this topic with because I don't know much about how the the Holocaust unfolded in Italy itself and also I think on this podcast I really want to be introducing like people that I respect and the research that I respect and have them have you all hear their voices too and not just mine so yes this week Alyssa is on the podcast and she will be speaking to us about Italy it's a little longer than the other episodes I've done so I'm gonna keep this intro short and sweet so let's just crack on with the episode Okay, Alyssa, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, me too. It's been a while since we've been talking about it, but I'm happy that you're going to be the one that's going to take us to Italy today. So can you basically tell me what happened? Because I really don't know that much about Italy apart from Primo Levi's story. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So Italy is a really interesting case, I think, um, because, you know, as, as I'm sure most people know, you know, Mussolini was the first fascist leader. He, he created fascism and Hitler was really inspired by um, what Mussolini did in Italy with his fascist movement. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting case because uh, official anti-Semitism really wasn't a part of the fascist program in Italy until 1938. Um, so in 1938, uh, November 17th, to be specific, um, the fascist party um, put out the Italian racial laws, which pretty much, um, well, first of all, it defined what a Jew was in the kind of legal institutional spheres. Um, and it, that, that really differed from the Nazi model because for the Italians, um, they believed that if you had any trace of German or sorry, Italian blood yeah. in your family tree, mm-hmm. um, that you were Italian. So as opposed to, you know, the German model where if you had any kind of Jewish blood uh, in your family tree, you were considered to be uh, Jewish, so- uh, even if it went back. Yeah. So it was always you were Italian first and then anything else. 
always a hundred percent. Um, and also let me say that, you know, um, the Italian Jewish community had a huge, uh, part in the fascist, um, takeover of Italy and also, uh, played a major role in, you know, the institutional, um, the fascist institutional spheres and, um, they, there were like a lot of very prominent Jewish fascists in the, in the fascist party. So the second part of the racial laws was really isolating the Jewish community from their Italian neighbors. So the Jewish population in Italy was very, very highly assimilated. It was one of the oldest in Europe. They had been living uh, beside Italians for over 2000 years. And at the time, yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. The, actually the word ghetto comes from Italy. I think um, I knew that, but um, I always, because you know, you know about po- about Poland's history, so like 3,000 years of Jewish his- history in Poland, but I didn't know it was so vast. Is vast the word? Um, I didn't know it was so long in Italy, 2,000 years. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, and if you ever, like if you're a Shakespeare fan, I'm a Shakespeare fan, yeah, The Merchant too. of Venice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Merchant of Venice, it's, it's great, A Pound of Flesh such a good play yeah. um so they talk about you know the jewish community and and the stereotypes also you really get to see the religious anti-semitism mm-hmm. come out in something like the merchant of venice yeah so the jewish community as i said you know it was very very highly assimilated a lot of people didn't consider themselves to be jewish you know as i'm sure you said with other countries a lot of people were integrated they were italian first uh and jew being jewish was you know, a part of their identity, but what it wasn't the center of their identity. So these laws, they uh, banned uh, Jewish children from Italian schools. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of children who survived the Holocaust said that they didn't realize they were even Jewish until they were banned from school. Oh, really? Whoa. Yeah, there's a lot of really heartbreaking testimonies of people saying, you know, I had friends one day and the next day nobody would look at me. Mm-hmm. Nobody would even acknowledge I was there. And that also went for teachers. Teachers weren't allowed to teach in in Italian institutions. Mm -hmm. They were barred from participating in the military, um, from any of the fascist party institutions. And a lot of them were pushed out of their businesses. So essentially what these laws did is they, they pushed the Jews out of any kind of social interaction. And a lot of people became destitute because they had no way to support themselves or their families. So a lot of people believe that these laws weren't very harsh and that it wasn't really, it wasn't really um, a genuine movement mm-hmm. or a genuine uh, policy, but the real life implications were, were incredible for these people. Yeah. And I think that's something that you don't, it's, I think it's kind of hard to comprehend like it's easy for us to say oh this these laws were passed and then suddenly you know people can't go to school or they can't they lose their businesses and actually it's kind of is it's good that you mentioned testimony there because I think it's really important when you talk about these things to to know that like it was basically one day everything was fine and then the next day it wasn't and like how do how do people actually live through that like what are their experiences and this all constitutes towards like genocidal policies and things like that like pushing people out of the out of public life you know what does that actually mean to the people who have to live it 
I think quite often we jump right to the end of genocide, which is perhaps murder, but we don't think about how painful it is to go through that process of basically being disappeared out of out of the public sphere, basically. Yeah, absolutely. One term that I always stuck with me is the social death of the mm-hmm. Jewish communities. And mm-hmm. that social yeah. death was really the preeminent step towards the actual mass murder mm-hmm. of, of Jewish people. So it's, it's not something that we can minimize. And, you know, I also want to say that while the Italian people may not have fully supported the Jewish laws or supported the Italian um, or Mussolini's, I guess, friendship with Hitler, they also didn't do anything to stop it. They didn't do anything to speak out against it. And people really kind of went along with, with what the government was putting through. So we can't, you know, it's, it's one thing to not participate in something, but it's another thing to also just not, um, it's that by not speak out against effect, it. Right? It's just, exactly. Know, are, is it just as bad to be a bystander as it is a perpetrator of this kind of crime? Mm-hmm. Because it's part, it's all part of it. Like the, the apathy, I guess, towards people being um discriminated against like publicly and not doing anything when you know if your state actually turns against you as a citizen then you need other citizens to help you like there's no one out there's no one else to help yeah absolutely and you know that could have been a project of living almost you know, I think it was almost 15 years under fascist rule mm-hmm. um, that people didn't want to speak out. But it, I think it speaks volumes um, that there was no widespread or not even widespread. There was nobody who said that this is wrong and we shouldn't do this. Uh, the laws were applied differently. Like people, people had a lot more freedom, I guess, to uh, put the laws in place as they saw fit. So some of the local officials, you know, weren't as harsh with implementing these laws. Other officials were extremely harsh in implementing. And there was a lot of gray area in terms of, you know, if your local official didn't think that you were Jewish, then you weren't Jewish. Even if you had a Jewish family, you were married to a Jewish woman, whatever it was, if they didn't think you were Jewish, then you weren't Jewish. Um, which was very different from a lot of other cases where it was really the bloodlines Mm -hmm. or the genealogy that they, they, you couldn't argue against it. Yeah. And once they'd given you those ID papers, that was it. There was no, there was no two ways about it. If on paper they classified you as Jewish, then that's, that's the end of it. So that's actually really Mm -hmm. interesting to, to find out. I didn't know, I didn't know that, that you could kind of it was at people's kind of discretion. That's really interesting. Yeah, totally. There's actually a case when the Jewish laws were passed in Trieste, which is the city, one of the main cities that I study, Northern Italy, um, that this mayor, he was Jewish and he pretty much was exempted from the laws because he was so well liked by all of his fascist comrades. You know, I, should, I guess I shouldn't use the word comrades, but <laughs> all of his uh, fascist his Italian friends and and the people that he had worked with for so long. And he survived the Holocaust because he wasn't, you know, distinguished as a Jew. 
Um, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, kind of how, especially for survival, how it really, I mean, going through country by country, we kind of, we're getting an idea now of how it looked different in different countries. And I think, um, especially in Eastern Europe, there was, um, I personally, because I think anti-Semitism was quite deep rooted and quite rife more so in eastern europe than other places in ukraine you have the einsatzgruppen and like all those horrible horrid like the holocaust by bullets and then in um hungary you have a very fast deportation and just really just most people going to auschwitz and then just being gassed on arrival and then you go to places like france or spain or italy and there's a bit more leeway with with um so like france has this narrative of resistance spain has this narrative of um being able to protect sephardic jews and now in italy you have like kind of this what's the word i'm looking for i don't know what word i'm looking for but like if you're liked then maybe you're safe even if you're even if you're jewish and there are these laws that kind of determine that you should be discriminated against yeah absolutely i think if if you lived with these people for so many years and they tr- prove themselves to be true fascists, I think that was really the, the thing that separated a lot of, you know, the Italian experience from other experiences that these people had been a part of the fascist party for so long. They had really proven themselves mm-hmm. in the eyes of, of their, uh, their cohort. Whereas no Jews were allowed to join the Nazi party. Yeah. You know, it's it's they were from the get go, they were separated. So it, I think it was very difficult for people to do this kind of 180 with the Jewish people around them. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening like after these laws were like enacted, like what did were any Jews deported from Italy? Like what was the kind of how did how did the Holocaust then plan out? Because I know that they were allied with Nazi Germany, obviously. Um, that's probably probably the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I should mention that with the the racial laws, the the one group that was kind of specially targeted were foreign Jews. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, supposed to be interned or placed under house arrest after the laws were enacted, which many of them were. So, you know, house arrest would be that they would have to live in their town. They couldn't, you know, there's no freedom of movement and they had to report back to the the local police, you know, every day or every week so that they, I guess, could just keep tabs on them. But no Jews were deported from Italy between 1938, which was the establishment of the racial laws, and 1943, which is when... When the armistice was signed uh, between the Allies and the Italians, so just a very quick sentence on that: the Italian government decided that they no longer wanted to be part of the German war. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be allied with the Nazi Party, and this is not Mussolini who decided this. This was he was actually voted out of power in July, mm-hmm. which is another thing that really separates the Nazi Party from the fascist party. You know. Hitler would never have been voted out of power. Yeah, it wouldn't have been possible. Uh, no. So Mussolini was actually in prison at the time of the armistice. So when the armistice was signed, it was kind of a shock for the Italian people and the 
German government occupied Northern Italy. Okay. And they actually uh, went to Rome. They rescued Mussolini from prison mm-hmm. and shipped him up to Northern Italy. Okay. To, yes. To put him in some form of like power there or just to get him out of prison? They wanted to rescue Mussolini so that they could put him into power in Northern Italy, which is where they occupied. Mm-hmm. So the Germans actually directly occupied uh, some of the northern provinces, specifically South Tyrol and Venezia Giulia. And then the rest of Italy was under the, you know, in quotations, power of Mussolini and the reconstituted fascist government there. Right. So in terms of perpetrating the Holocaust, because now we're at 1943 and the final solution, you know, was kind of enacted from 41 onwards. So what was happening in Italy during that time? And then obviously post Mussolini being taken, well, voted out of power. So things didn't change too much between like for Jewish people in Italy between 1938 and 1943. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest change or the main thing that the Italian government did was keep tabs on the Jewish people. So they, they did a census in 1938, mm-hmm. and then they did another sentence in 19, census in 1942. Mm-hmm. And also in, in 1940, the Italian government joined the war effort, and they occupied France, Yugoslavia, Greece, and those areas of of Italian occupied Europe were actually thought to be safe havens Mm -hmm. by Jews in those regions. A lot of Jewish people escaped to Italy and to Italian occupied France or Yugoslavia because the Italian government refused to deport Jews. And there's a lot of debate about why this happened. Was it a power struggle? Did they really not want to deport Jewish people because they you know, still saw their humanity? Did they want to look good to the allies because they were thinking about changing sides? There's a lot of debate about this. Mm -hmm. But what really changed in 1943 after the armistice is a lot of these Italian occupied lands were then occupied by the German army. Right. And most of the Jewish people who were in those regions were deported unless they were able to escape to Italy. Okay, yeah, because we see this because I've done an episode on France and that's what hap- happened there because they had, I can't remember the area now, I'd have to I'd have to re-listen to the episode, but um, <laughs> yeah, there was an area there where, yeah, they famously refused to deport any Jews that were living there and then once that wasn't their part of France anymore, then they were deported. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, it's really interesting. So in the regions that in Italy that were occupied by the German army and then the regions under the Italian Social Republic, they pretty much went full steam ahead with deportation efforts af- right after occupation. Okay. So October and November of 1943, uh, German authorities were rounding up Jews in Rome and Milan and Genoa and Florence, Trieste. Uh, you know, a lot of the major cities under their jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous of these roundups was the roundup of the Roman ghetto. And I just find this to be a really interesting story. Um, So the German 
kind of head official in Rome, uh, SS Lieutenant Colonel Herbert Kepler. He actually went to the Jewish community, the, the leaders of the Jewish community of Rome, and he said, you know, if you give me 50,000 kilograms of gold, I'm not going to deport you. I'll protect you. And they rounded up their money. They rounded up the gold. Uh, they actually received some help from some church officials and they paid their ransom and they were deported anyways. Oh, I knew you were going to say so, that. Ugh. Yeah, really, really tragic. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, by 1943, they must have known what was going to happen and they must have heard what had happened. But there was a lot of hope and there was a lot of belief that if they followed kind of the rules and if they did what they were told that they would be spared yeah and that was just not the case what a horrid what a horrid thing to live through like just to be given that like glimpse of hope and then it happens anyway like oh I can't like it's, yeah it's I, very like, very sad I honestly I believe that testimony is the closest that you get and like stories like these is the closest you get to really understanding how things happened um rather than you know like statistics and like I don't know documents and and stuff and it just breaks my heart every time because I'm like I can't imagine like well I can imagine it I think that's why I find it so sad it's just to be like okay how what savings do I have or how do we round all this money up and save all these people basically and then that realization that what you did it, it was all a lie anyway and it wasn't good enough like oh god yeah yeah it's it was very, very tragic. And I think it really had a, a huge impact on the Italian community in Rome because over a thousand Jews were deported from the ghetto of Rome with this raid. But after the November, the October, November raids in 1943, the German government had a very, very, very difficult time deporting mm -hmm. Jewish people from Italy. Um, so just to give you an idea of this, um, it's estimated that there were about 10,000 Jews in Rome and only over a thousand Jews were deported okay. from Rome. So like 10%. So, yeah. Like 10%? So I think after these initial, so that is 10%, isn't it? A thousand. Yes. <laughs> I think so. We're not mathematicians. Okay. No. We're <laughs> it's also been a very long week. We're recording this on a Friday evening. Well, Friday evening, German time. Alyssa is actually in Canada. Um, so my brain is gone. <laughs> so 10%. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people survived in hiding. Um, there was actually this really interesting story of this, um, this hospital that was near the Jewish ghetto. They actually made up a disease. Uh, they called it Syndrome K. Mm -hmm. And they saved, you know, they, they told the German authorities, oh, you can't come to the hospital we, we have syndrome K patients and the Germans were so afraid of infection and disease that they, they just stayed clear of it. And they were able to save quite a few Jews from deportation just by, you know, making up this fake disease. Oh my gosh. That's actually so, amazing. So a lot of Italians did uh, quite a bit to save their Jewish neighbors from deportation. This situation was a bit different in Northern Italy because it was directly occupied by the Germans, the SS were very heavily present in these areas and they really, really pushed for the, the capture and deportation of Jews. And they also expected that Mussolini's Italian Social Republic, this little puppet state that they had put together 
they expected that they were going to participate. Mm-hmm. So in Northern Italy, we see quite a lot more deportations, um, more concentration camps were built or internment camps, I guess, would be the more appropriate term mm-hmm. for these, these places. And thousands of Jews were deported from Northern Italy from these camps. So do you know where they were deported to or just so most of them were deported no no I was just saying I can make assumptions on where they were deported to but I didn't know if you knew for sure yeah most of these Jews were deported directly to Mm Auschwitz-Birkenau so there were probably three major police camps in northern Italy Uh, this is not including the concentration camp in Trieste called San Saba and I can talk a bit more about that if you want but the other three camps, about uh, 4,500 Jews, just over 4,500 Jews were deported from these camps to Mm Auschwitz-Birkenau. And then another 500 uh, were deported to Bergen-Belsen, Buchenwald, Ravensbrück, and Mm Flossenburg. And out of the 4,500 that were deported, only 314 survived. Oh, wow. And the camp at San Saba, I just want to say something really quickly about it was actually the only camp in all of Italy where there was a crematorium so it really yes yeah it really set was separated from from the other camps and it wasn't just uh Jewish prisoners who went there it was mainly political prisoners Mm -hmm. Slovenian citizens people that they had deported from Yugoslavia Mm -hmm. so Sansab is a very unique case in in the history of the Holocaust in Italy. And do you know what the crematorium was used for? Was it, I mean, was it predominantly like a work camp or? Like, it why was predominantly an crematorium? Inter- I'm sorry? Why would they need a crematorium? So it was mainly an internment camp, mm-hmm. but the it was very, very brutal there. They treated prisoners um, with extreme brutality. So there was, I, I don't want to get into too many of the gruesome details, but there was just a lot of capital punishment, I guess, to keep the prisoners in line. Uh, there was beatings, there was starvation. Uh, there were some instances of, you know, mass shootings. So it was mainly to kind of dispose of the bodies mm-hmm. um, that were, Uh, victims of this brutality and uh, it's also important to note that this uh, camp was located pretty much just outside of the city limits of Mm -hmm. Trieste so I don't think that they wanted the public to know what was going on there I guess a crematorium is not a great thing to put in a space if you don't want people to know what's going on but (laughs) there's not a lot of discussion about the crematorium and what people did or didn't know yeah no because I think um also when we talk about like what symbols of the holocaust are I think it's also important to recognize you know not all of these camps obviously functioned in the same way so it's interesting to me in a place where there was so much resistance against like deportations and stuff like that that there would be that there would be a crematorium because like mostly we understand crematoriums as like there's like consistent kind of mass murder going on. Um, But this is a case of like just extreme brutal treatment and needing to dispose of bodies. 
Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't really a gas chamber in San Saba. I actually have heard, I, I read somewhere that they started using the gas vans again in Trieste. Oh. So I believe maybe some of the victims of the crematorium were, were from the gas vans. Yes. Very gruesome. It was really an experiment what they did in Trias, and that's something we can talk more about another day but uh I mean I'm I'm really feeling the more that I go through this series of going country by country that I'm I mean in my undergraduate study I focused on the the camp system so I think I might do a whole series on different camps perhaps next series a bit a bit of light listening for for all the the listeners but I find it fascinating because I think it's I also think it's really important to understand that that whole system and everything functioned in a really different way in different places. Like it wasn't all Auschwitz. It wasn't all death camps. Yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah. Anyway, that is a conversation for another day. Um, So I think we've got kind of like an overview of the Holocaust in Italy. Is there anything you want to kind of round down with? Like how did, how did the end of the war kind of play out in Italy? And I don't know if you know about returning Jews to the country as well. Yeah, so in terms of the end of the war, it was really a, a, a battle zone for the majority of the rest of the war. The Allies were kind of creep, slowly creeping their way up through to northern Italy, and then they eventually were able to push into uh, the Italian, the German-occupied areas, also with the help of the Yugoslavian uh, partisans, Mm -hmm. the communist partisan groups who would come in from the east. And so the country was liberated by uh, allied forces and the Soviet or and communist forces. Mm -hmm. And in total, it's estimated that 8,564 Jews were deported from Italy and from former Italian occupied territories. And do you know what the the popu- the Jewish population just in Italy itself was? So I believe it was about 43,000 in uh, in 1943. Okay. So maybe I need to go and look up like the actual I mean not that it ma- not that the numbers the numbers matter like people were still deported to their deaths like they do you know what I mean but um, I think it's. I think that's interesting to see country by country, specifically because all the narratives are are so different. Um, you know, comparatively, how many people you save by not doing what the Germans kind of told you to do, even though even if you're allied with them. Um, yeah, and it's it's a pretty amazing number too, considering that it was a they they didn't have official anti-Semitism until Mm -hmm. 1938. The fascist government started in 1922. Mm -hmm. It was decades of people grew up in a fascist state without official anti-Semitism. So for that many people to still be deported Mm -hmm. is pretty shocking. And it's also important to note that while the SS in Northern Italy did spearhead the arrest and deportation of Jews, a lot of Italian officials participated. A lot of Italian citizens denounced their right. Jewish neighbors or, you know, some 
a, a new face would appear in town. And even if they didn't know if they were Jewish or not, they would tell the German authorities, oh, there's, you know, there's a Jew hiding in the town. So, what? yeah. So the Italians, while many did help to protect and, and save, rescue, hide Jewish people, there were also, there are testimonies and documents that say that they they were denounced yeah. by Italians. I mean, I think that's what we're learning this series, right? That um, you don't, the Holocaust wasn't happening without collaboration. It just wasn't. Yeah. And that absolutely. collaboration looks different in, in different countries. Yeah. Whether it's bystanding or, or, or actually part- helping, actual participation. Yeah. perpetration. Yeah. Well, I think we've got, you've given us a pretty good overview of what, of how the Holocaust happened in Italy. Like there's definitely a ton of stuff that I didn't know of. It's, it's an area that I haven't really researched. I think I've always focused on kind of Western, Eastern Europe more so just, I guess, because it's closer to where I'm from. so I've always toured like those kind of countries and gone to those places and find out find out more about it but I'm definitely inspired to like now look more into like Italy and maybe into like the former Yugoslavia like that kind of region and like see what's going on there which we will just explore on this podcast anyway (laughs) yeah absolutely and you know if you're interested in reading more about this um, I actually have two quick suggestions Mm -hmm. so uh, I really recommend the book Geographies of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really interesting kind of spatial history of the Holocaust. And Italy is one of the countries that they focus on. And they also focus on Hungary. And it's just kind of a look at the, you know, the maps of deportations, of arrest. It's really, really fascinating if you want to kind of get a visual history. Oh, cool. Yeah. Of, of the Holocaust. Yeah. And then my second recommendation would be to read the testimony by uh, Piera Sanino. Mm -hmm. She was an Italian woman who was actually the sole survivor of her family of eight. It was the, one of the first uh, memoirs of the Holocaust in Italy that I ever read. And it's really stuck with me. So the title of that is this has happened an Italian family in Auschwitz. (gasps) And yeah, actually, when you and I were in Auschwitz, mm-hmm. you remember the giant book of names? Yeah, you found her. And I, like, found, I found her, her family. family. Yeah. yeah, because that name and that story just has always really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. It's very tragic, but it's very, very powerful. And you can learn a little bit more about, you know, what it was like to live in fascist Italy under the racial laws and to live in hiding and then also to return to Italy after the war, which is... Uh, yeah very very difficult for a lot of people no that's a great suggestion so what's that called again this is this has happened so it's by Piera Sanino it's called this has happened an Italian family in Auschwitz I will definitely be looking that up because I love I mean it's weird saying the word love but I really like to read testimony I think that's my favorite in on um when you're reading about really tough topics I think you really need to humanize it first before you do anything um but yeah well thank you for coming on today and recording with me um it's been really interesting and I hope that you will come back and talk to us about oh I forget the name Trieste 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 yes Trieste Trieste, it's 
fascinating um, history. Yeah, I'm really interested in the camps. So, and I don't know anything about Italian camps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure and, you know, happy to come on anytime. Yay. Okay. <laughs> See you soon. So there you have it, a wonderful discussion with Alyssa about the Holocaust in Italy. Um, That's it for this week's episode. So as ever, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends and family if you think it's something they'd be interested in. If you do have any questions or want to reach out or talk more over the topic or you've got something interesting to tell me, um, then please do write to me at info at withoutthefootnotes.org or you can also reach me via DM on Instagram at withoutthefootnotes. And yeah, that's all for this week. So I will catch you next time. Ciao.